Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. We're beginning this brand new series called Unequal. The sign at the back, Andy said, uh, is the sign for unequal. And we're going to be looking at this over the next uh, kind of six weeks as we build up towards Easter. Um, That's if my iPad would work because it isn't working. I did just drop it, as some of you will have seen, but it is working. We're back on. So we're going to kind of kick it off by um, kind of one of the age-old debates, really. And the debate is this. Who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time? If you didn't know what GOAT meant, all right? Greatest of all time. You're thinking, GOAT? Like a sheep? No. Greatest of all time. Maybe, maybe when it comes to boxing, some of you who are my generation will remember this fella, Muhammad Ali. Anyone remember? He, was, he said it, I am the greatest of all time. In fact, he said, I'm so fast. When I switch the light off, I get into bed before it even gets dark. He was a little shy on confidence, uh, was Muhammad Ali. Um, maybe then when it comes to uh, football, this fella died recently, greatest of all time. But then that raises the whole controversy. Is it this guy, Messi, or is it Ronaldo? Next one, ne- quicker. Uh, who's Messi? Who's a Messi fan? Ronaldo? Gabby Lahore? No, that's okay. <laughs> Some of you who are not Villa players. I don't know whether what that race is. Maybe though, coming outside of sport for a minute, what about this lady here, Florence Nightingale, considered to be one of the greatest of all time in her field in nursing. What about this uh, person here, Winston Churchill, voted the greatest leader in UK history. What about this lady here, Mother Teresa? I'll be heading out to Albania next weekend. Right in the airport in Tirana is a statue of this lady. She was born uh, in that part of the, the world. But maybe uh, when it comes to music, maybe these fellas... Do you think the Beatles, greatest of all time? Not quite so sure. Interestingly enough, the Beatles, one of them said this, okay, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Beatles are great, but I beg to differ on that one, don't you? I want to suggest to you humbly, okay, that this fella here, is the greatest of all time. That whatever your depiction of Jesus, whatever your image of Jesus, that there has never been or never will be a greater person who will ever step foot on planet Earth. He is unequaled in every single way. And we're gonna look at that over the next few weeks. And we're gonna do it, and the source that we're gonna do it in is the book of John. There were four Gospels um, in, in, in the Bible and John is one and the others aren't George, Ringo or Paul. Okay, they're Matthew, Mark and Luke. And these four depictions give us a picture of Jesus. But Matthew, Mark and Luke focus much more on, on kind of what he did. John focuses much more on who he is. Okay, so the others have focused a lot more on the humanity side, but John is the gospel that is focused more on the divinity side. And in John's gospel, there are seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. And every single week from now, right the way up until Easter Sunday, including Good Friday, we're gonna look at those seven statements. And the first one we're gonna look at today, I'm gonna open up. But before I do that, I wanna just talk a little bit about those seven statements because they all begin with the prefix, I am. And this is, I'm going to give you a little bit of background because this is important. Some of you will know this because you've been around Christianity a long time. Some of you are newer to faith. Some of you are checking faith out and you're thinking, why should I follow this Jesus? We want to give you some reasons why we think you should follow him. Seven times he says, I am, and then he makes a statement. 
And that prefix, I am, is really important. Seven times is important because in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. It's the number of divinity. So that means something. But then I am is a reference to something that happened in the history of Israel. You have to go way back in time to when Israel, when, when the Jews were in captivity in Egypt and a guy called Moses was sent to, to kind of deliver them. But he was in the desert. He was licking his wounds. He was embarrassed. He was disappointed. And one day, as he was uh, tending the sheep, um, a bush exploded into fire and God spoke to Moses out of the bush. And this is what he said in Exodus chapter three. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you because God has just asked Moses to do this. And they asked me, what is his name? Because Egypt had lots and lots of gods. So Moses is saying, okay, if I go back to Pharaoh and say, God has told me, to tell you to let my people go. They've got lots of gods with lots of names. What name shall I tell them? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, for those of you that are newer to this, this sounds a bit of a riddle, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you, when you introduce yourself, say, I am who I am? Sounds a bit like... Look, it's a bit like, isn't it? Now you say, I am, I'd say, I am Leon, Richard. And you'd say, I am Richard. You wouldn't say, I am who I am. What is all this about? But I am is a reference here because what it means in the Hebrew is it's a revelation of the new name of God, Yahweh. And it's like God is saying, listen, you don't need to give any other descriptors. You can have all these thousand names that you sing about, but ultimately, I am. I am. And that revelation of who he is, he's not just telling Moses who he is, he's telling Moses what he is. The nature of him. I am uncreated is what that phrase means. I am pre-existent. I was before, I will be now, I will be forever. I am eternal, I am matchless. You just need to say, I am, Yahweh has sent me to you. And when Jesus declares, I am, all the religious leaders around were like, oh, he's claiming to be God. So don't ever think, don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus was just a man and he didn't claim to be any different because that's totally not true. When Jesus declared, I am, he is declaring his very nature. And the first question that I want us to think about today, which gives us our first statement is this, anyone hungry? Anyway, you've seen the bread and you're hungry. Because Jesus said, the first statement he said is this, I am the bread of life. Hmm. Why bread? Bread is universal, right? I mean, bread doesn't belong to any nation or any people group. It's a tortilla in Mexico. It's a baguette in Paris. It's a bagel in New York and it's a cob in the black country. It's universal, belongs to everyone. It's varied. I mean, you can, you can butter it, toast it, batter it, flatten it, grill it. You can do so much with it. It's daily. It isn't in season like fruit is in season. It's daily. And it's the staple diet of some and it's a fancy appendage to others. Bread is amazing. And this came home to me powerfully just over a week ago when I was in Uganda and here's me serving some bread to these kids. And, and the reason these are going is that I said to the kids that my name, Leon, uh, means lion. And so every time they saw me, they all went like that the rest of the day. But you know, when I was in Uganda with compassion, the whole power of bread came home to me. We went to visit a family um, in a house. I say a house. It was 
a room. A single mom whose husband had left her when she was expecting the second child. So one of the kids was at school and the other was 18 months, was in the house with her. And we went in and we sat in the dirt in her house, in her home, and spent an hour or so with her. That hour, she had to negotiate with her boss because right outside her home, she sold pork to people that passed by. And she worked from 9am till 11pm every single day. And she had to negotiate for an hour to meet with us. And as I went in and we sat talking and then we had a gift with us and, and I opened the gift and it was some food and I took out a loaf of bread. And as I gave her the loaf of bread, she wept. And she wept and she wept because she, there was no food in her house. She wasn't allowed to go anywhere near the port. She had nothing. And so we were able to give that loaf of bread, which literally was a lifesaver. And it came home to me again how when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You know, yesterday I was, um, me and Alison and our grandkids and family were up at the park and, and we're taking half a loaf of bread and throwing it to the ducks. Because just that's what we do. But actually to some people, bread literally is a matter of life or death. Anyone hungry? See, Jesus isn't just talking about physical bread. He's going much, much deeper than that. And in John chapter 6, where Jesus says this phrase, he goes on a little um, kind of expedition with the people who are following him. And it starts off in John 6 when he does this amazing miracle where he feeds a multitude with loaves, with bread and with fish. Then he walks on water. And you think that would have been enough for people, but it's not. And in this section, you see him teaching about how hungry people are, but they've missed the point of when Jesus says on the bread of life. In other words, they're hungry for the wrong kind of things. And I want to just track us through this because it might be that the dissatisfaction you feel with life and even with your faith, some of you, is actually because maybe we've relocated our hunger to the wrong source. We've attached our hunger and our desire to something it was never meant to be attached to in the first place. And we wonder why we're still hungry. And it starts off by Jesus. I think he's addressing people who I call they're hungry for stuff. They're materialists. Let's look at the Bible together. It says this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. In other words, you know, I fed you with this bread and that's all you're interested in. You're just interested in stuff. If you could get more stuff, then you'd satisfy the hunger or you think you would, but you won't because man's not created to be satisfied by stuff only by the God who created them. And um, many people in Jesus' day followed him because they were looking for material satisfaction. They were looking for solutions, political solutions to the problem of Rome. And, and many people followed him for that. And Jesus says, you guys are never going to satisfy your hunger by filling your life with more and more stuff. And I think when you are in places like Uganda, you just see the joy in some people's lives and the simplicity of their faith and of their life. And it's challenging. Because you and I have so much stuff. Even in a cost of living crisis, we still have so much stuff. You know, I, I read this a, a while ago. That some, somebody said this, we're all against materialism. We don't want to be materialistic. We just want more. 89% of people in the UK said they felt that we are too materialistic. And it isn't just about stuff. 
a TV show in, in, in the States years ago, I saw this and, and they were talking about a sex therapist who said this, if you're not completely satisfied with your sex life, give us a call. If you're not completely satisfied, that is the spirit of the age, isn't it? If you're not completely satisfied with your sex life, if you're not completely satisfied with your spouse, if you're not completely satisfied with your job, if you're not completely satisfied with your body, if you're not completely satisfied with your church, move on and get another one. That's materialism. That's a hunger for stuff. And rather than fill our lives with more stuff, maybe we should ask some deeper questions. Why do we fill our garages with more expensive cars, our mantelpieces with the tokens of our success and our houses with things, but none of them give us the satisfaction that deep down we desire? And I want to test this out for you in the room and those of you in locations as well and even online. And I'd like you to take out of your pocket your wallet, your purse, your keys or your phone. Can you pass my phone, darling? On the floor. I want you to just take it out. So, so whatever's most important to you right now, okay? And I'm going to test whether we're materialistic or not. So take it out, okay? Hand it to the person on your right. We're taking up an offering. <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Some of you are like, oh, you, you, you can have my keys in my, you ain't in my phone, you're not in my phone. <laughs> it does apply though to followers of Jesus as well. Let, let, let me read this to you. Author Jean Zorns wrote this many, many years ago. She said this, As a new Christian, see if you see yourself here. As a new Christian, I presume Jesus' main job was taking care of me. He led me to a job, roommates to share my apartment costs and a car that ran. But after a while, my tastes got funnier. Like the Israelites waking up to manna every morning, that was bread that came in the desert. You know, I I was tired of the same old, same old. I wanted a home with more privacy, a more interesting yet less stressful job and a shinier new car. My list continued to grow. I wanted Jesus to perk me up when I was down, remove my difficulties and make living a whole lot easier. And before you and I get too judgmental, that's me. When I was in my 20s and first gave my life to Jesus as a teenager and my first job, I earned £6,000 a year uh, for several years and even then it wasn't a lot of money. Um, But I didn't care because I love Jesus. And and I didn't care that my friends were were getting more stuff and going on bigger holidays. I didn't care because I looked. But the older I've got, sometimes some of those things can creep in, can't they? And actually, we've gone from our hunger for God to a hunger for stuff. So what are you hungry for? Is it stuff? And then Jesus goes on to to talk to the second group of people who I think are hungry for rules and we'll call them legalists. Hungry for rules and they're legalists. It says in the Bible here in John 6, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? We've got to do something, haven't we? Jesus answered, the work is this. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. You don't have to do anything. You have to believe. You have to be hungry for me, not just hungry for all. Sometimes when you grow up in church like I did, you can have enough of faith just to inoculate you from the real thing. You know, it's like a jab. Gives you a little bit of the real thing and inoculates you against the real thing. And some of us have grown up and we've been hungry really for rules. Just tell me what to do. Tell me how to be compliant. And that will never satisfy the desire in your heart. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said this, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Guys, I want to say, um, I've got a talk here, but I might come away from that. We need to fall in love with Jesus again. 
And I know some of you may not even believe that Jesus exists and you're checking it out and I get that. But for those of you that do, our relationship with Jesus has to be less of a theory and more of a love affair. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But what are you hungry for? Rules? And then Jesus pushes it even deeper and He says to another group of people, maybe you're hungry for signs and we'll call them sensationalists. And in John 6 verse 30, He says, So they asked Him, what sign then? (laughs) Bearing in mind, He just fed the 5,000 and walked on the water, all right? What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? You mean feeding a multitude and walking on the water is not enough? How many of you have seen God do something? Dan said, how many of you have known God as a healer? Come on, let me see your hand. Those of you online, how many of you have known God as a provider? You've known God as the, the ocean parter and all that. And yet we still say, yeah, but show me another sign. Exactly what these guys do. Well, that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? What will you do? Jesus then goes on to remind them of their history. He said, hey, in the wilderness, God provided manna, bread for you every single day but it wasn't enough, wasn't enough. What are you hungry for? Maybe signs. And I wanna make a little bit of a caveat comment. Many of you will know if you're on social media or or whatever that God's doing something in the world right now. There are some things happening on campus uh, college sites in America and in other parts of the world. What are those things? I don't know what all of those things are, but I do sense God is moving in the earth at the moment. And in fact, on Wednesday at 7.30 in the morning, I'm going to do a Facebook Live in our online community where I'm going to dig a little deeper into some of this stuff and I'm going to dig a little bit into the Asprey Revival and some of that and talk into that. So if you want to join me at 7.30 on Facebook Live, uh, just go to Life Central Online Community and join the group. Ask to join the group. There's two quick questions and we'll let you in. But all of that is to build up to Jesus' big points. We take someone on a journey and he says, hey, some of you guys, you're you're hungry for material. You're hungry for stuff. Some of you, you're hungry for rules and and, and legalism. Some of you are hungry for signs. But actually, it's all building up to this big point of his teaching. And here we go. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I love that. And then Jesus looks around, and you can track it in John 6. And it starts in John 6 with a massive crowd following him, and it ends in John 6 with the crowds got smaller and smaller and smaller. Because Jesus has challenged them about their materialism and about their legalism and about their sensationalism. And he said, No, 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 it's none of those things. It's me. Oh, just you? Yeah, it's just me. I'm enough. I am the bread of life. You won't be hungry. You won't be thirsty if you satisfy yourself on me. And the crowd gets thin and disappears. And then Jesus turns around to Peter and the disciples and he says this. So what are you guys going to do? Are you going to go also? And Peter says these brilliant words. Lord, where shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you are the bread of life. And I've written this down because I want to say it properly and I'm going to read it from this. Peter's saying something a little bit like this. Lord, you're not easy to live with. You embarrass us and at times you frighten us. We don't always understand you and yet your words are the most remarkable that we have ever heard. They explain who we are 
and they make us understand life itself. We are satisfied by you and are held here by our desire for more of you. We have put our faith in you. You fit the prophecies and you fulfil the predictions. You are the great I am. You are unequalled. (laughs) We are hungry for life. We are hungry for you. We're hungry for you. I want to tell you one more story. On Friday, last Friday, Friday just gone, we were flying out Friday night and our last visit was to see this guy whose name is Richmond. Richmond was a compassion child. How many of you sponsor compassion kids? Guys, what you do is phenomenal. And I know that because I've seen it firsthand. He was sponsored by somebody. Uh, Richmond told us his story. He, uh, his father was murdered in front of his mother when he was eight years old. Um, after the murder, he took his little sister out of the way and, and several days later, they had no food. And, and he tells the story that he's in a market and he's robbing bananas off a truck to give the bananas to his six-year-old sister. And he tells the story that there's the single mom now trying to make sense of life with, her, with the kids that she's got. And, and they were living in a slum and the government came along to try and clear the slum. And it just put bulldozers through the slum. And he says, some of our neighbours, they didn't know where to go. They sat in their house as the, as the government cleared their house with them inside of it. He said, but everything changed when someone sponsored me. He says, and I became a compassion child. And he says, and, and, as I, and as I went into the program in the local church, the pastor of the local church took an interest in me and led me to Jesus. And I became a follower of Jesus. And then he tells the story of, of, of when he gets to 22, he leaves the program, but, but he'd gone to university. And he went to university and got a degree and got a master's degree. And now he's a pastor. And he says, and my wife, she was a compassion child. And my manager, he's a compassion child. And the CFO, he's a compassion child. And when we're there, they're sat on 12 acres of land, which he's developing into a theological school and a health and well-being centre. And he's training 15,000 African pastors. Yes, wow. And he, and he started... And he says, and and this is the thing that wrecked us. And bear in mind, all of us there were leaders from Spring Harvest, okay? Speakers and worship leaders. We've all been around a bit, okay? Uh, uh, (laughs) We're old. Uh, Well, I'm old. I was the oldest. And we're all sat there and we're just transfixed by this man and his story. And then at the end, this is what got me. He said this, and it all changed when I was sponsored by a 15-year-old girl from the UK called Heather, who I've never met. She changed my life. He said, because what she did is she introduced me to Jesus. He says, and Jesus is who changes your life. And he said this, he says, and other NGOs are great and they'll help you out of poverty. But when you get out of poverty, okay, you run far from poverty. But when Jesus gets you out of poverty, you don't run away from poverty. You run back towards it to change it and to help lift others out of poverty too. And at the end of that, I honestly, I have not been in a moment like this for years and years. I cannot explain to you what happened. But at the end of that, he then said, does anyone have any questions? And one of of the the girls who's a Nigerian descent girl who was on our team, who who is amazing, who she's coming to speak for us later in the year. She's amazing, 28 year old. And she said, let's not ask any questions. Let's just wait on the Holy Spirit and let's pray. And we waited and we prayed 
And if you're new as a church, this is going to sound a little bit weird, okay? But all I can tell you is the presence of God in that room was something I haven't experienced for many, many years. And we were worshipping and we were kneeling and we were lying flat on our faces and we were weeping. And afterwards, somebody said to me, what was going on in you during that time? And I have to say, I said this, to my shame, to my shame, what was going on in me at the start was this, God, what am I doing with my life? When I've heard this guy's story, what am I doing with my life? What have I done with my life? And then I felt God say to me, Leon, it's not all about you. It's about me. It's about him. And I repented on my knees and said, Jesus, I'm sorry for being so focused on myself when it's all about you. Only you have the words of eternal life. I want to give the rest of my life to you and you alone. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you today at the start of our series to recommit yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, to a a hunger for God. He is the bread of life, right? He is the bread of life. God is moving around the world right now. We as followers of Jesus need to position ourselves in a place where we're engaging with Him. But it may be today that you're not a follower of Jesus. I want to speak to you for a moment as well. You see, perhaps you've never tried this bread. Perhaps you've never tried this bread. Perhaps you tried everything else. You filled your house with stuff. You filled your life with stuff. You've done stuff, but you know that there is a hunger deep on the inside of you. Maybe you're in one of our locations or you're online as well. And you've never ever said yes to Jesus. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that today. But it may be that for some of you, (coughs) you stopped going to the bakery. You've been to the bakery, you know what the bread is, but you stopped going to the bakery. And you wonder why your life feels empty. You wonder why Jesus doesn't feel alive to you. It's because God, the Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. Stop going to the bakery, no wonder you're hungry. But you go to the bakery every single day, you dig into Jesus every single day and you will find He is the bread of life, but you stop going to the bakery. Maybe you stopped engaging with your small group. Maybe you stopped engaging with the gathered church. You stopped going to the bakery, you'll be hungry again. Or maybe some of you, you're a little bit like the Israelites. You've got bored with this bread. Like I know this bread. You want something a little more fancy. You want something a little bit more, do you know what I mean? Maybe you've taken your eyes off the provider and you're only focused on the provision. And I believe that at the start of this series, God wants to invite every single one of us to revisit the bakery again, but not just for the bread, but for the baker, for the one who said, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you won't be hungry. You won't be thirsty. You know, I love this phrase, I am. And again, I wrote some things down. God does provide for our needs, but God's more than that. God does provide sometimes even for our desires and wants, but God is way more than that. And what I experienced in Uganda, which I hope lives with me, I really hope it doesn't just go away. I hope it lives with me. It's just a renewed hunger and a passion for Him, for God, for Jesus, the great I Am. Who is able to give me real hope and answers? I think Jesus would say, I am. Who is able when my vision is bigger than my resources? I am. 
Who is worthy of my trust? I am. Who can I be sure is listening to me? I am. Who is there when my marriage is sinking and I don't know which way to turn? I am. Who is there when I'm pouring into others? Who's pouring into me? I am. When I'm tired, I am. When I need a drink or a fix, I am. When I can't, I am. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So I want to invite you to pray with me for a moment. Can we bow our heads just for a moment? And if there's anyone here in this room or there's anyone in Hagley or Rowley or Clibbury or Bromsgrove or online and you know that you've never been to the bakery, you've never tried this bread, I want to give you an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus and to say, Jesus, if you're the bread of life, then I want you. I want to know you. I want to turn around from my way of living my life, being hungry for this and hungry for that. And I want now to be satisfied by you and you alone. If you want to say yes to Jesus, then I want to pray for you for a moment. So if that's you, I want to ask you just to put your hand up in the air. I'll see it. And maybe if you're in one of our locations, you do it as well. And I'd love to pray for you. Is there anyone today who wants to say yes to Jesus for the very first time? Jesus. Father, I pray for every single one of us. And Lord, if people have responded, maybe in one of our sites or online, God, may they know your presence right now. May they know you coming into their life and may they know you changing them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, I want to give you guys another challenge, really. On April the 2nd, we have a baptism. If you've said yes to Jesus and haven't been baptised, I want to encourage you, get baptised. It's so, so important. It's important because Jesus did it. It's important because Jesus taught it. It's important because the early disciples did it everywhere they went. And it hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. It's so, so important. If you haven't been baptised, maybe you've put it off. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you haven't done it. In fact, there's somebody getting baptised who hasn't been baptised, but they've been a Christian a long, long time. That's okay. That's brilliant. Or maybe you've just become a Christian. You've just said yes to God. That's great as well. We'd love to baptise you on April the 2nd. And one more challenge I want to give you before we take communion together as we finish is this. On Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about I am the resurrection and the life, okay? That's going to be exciting for all of us who know it, but it could be life-changing for someone who doesn't. The only way they're going to come outside of a work of the Holy Spirit drawing them is if you invite them. So I want to encourage you, think and pray right now. Who can you invite and bring with you on Easter Sunday in our sites and locations or here in the room as well? Who can you think and pray for and invite and bring with you on Easter Sunday? I want to invite you to stand with me if you're able. We are now going to take communion. Isn't it interesting Isn't it interesting when it comes to bread? I mean, how is bread even, how does bread even arrive? Well, it's wheat in the ground, right? And then it grows and and it flourishes and it's cut down and it's ground and it's put through fire. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And when we take some bread like this bread here and when we break it, like you're going to do in a moment, What we're doing is we're reminding ourselves that I am the bread of life. Isn't just the fact that He gives bread. He is 
the bread of life, who grew, who was then cut down, who was ground, who was put through fire, who died in order that you and I could live. So in a minute, we're going to invite you to wherever you are and in your locations as well. And hopefully you can do this online in your home as well. Just to move out from your seat. And there's four stations here in the auditorium at the back and to my right and left. Take communion, take the bread, take the juice. Remind yourself, He doesn't just give the bread of life. He is the bread of life. So Lord, now as we eat and as we drink and as we worship, we thank You, Jesus, that You are the bread of life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Encourage you, invite you, step, take communion, thank God, worship, celebrate in Jesus' name.